0: Uh, this is the second part of jesus taught faith and modeled mercy and love and a couple of things that we we talked about um, in our last session was that doubt is is the recoil of faith but it's also repenting from faith so when you have doubt <laughs> you repent from faith And the illustration we used was peter walking on the water whenever he was out there and it says he saw the wind he saw the wind now we talked about how we're just recapping okay um but we we talked about how how in the world can you see the wind like you can't see wind it's invisible (laughs) you know but they saw the wind so i believe that this seeing was the same um it's a revelation it was not a seeing like he saw the wind for instance, when uh, when <clears throat> when the prodigal son was in the mire with the pigs, and it says that he realized when he came to his senses, and he said to himself, "What am I doing? You know, my my father uh, would pay his servants more than I'm more than I'm getting paid right now." And so he had an awakening when the prodigal son had like he had a, he had awakening, but it was also a repentance. At that moment, his mind changed. He had a change. Of mind okay it's the same concept of what happened and it's a repenting but some repentance doesn't always lead to life change okay you know that whenever um whenever judas um it it will often lead to a life change because it changes the mind okay but godly repentance many times people don't get that that sometimes they repent like for instance uh judas it says that he repented whenever he realized that they were going to kill Jesus and that Jesus wasn't going to fight back. He repented. And he went and took the silver and threw it back. You see what I'm saying? But it didn't change his life. That repentance didn't completely change his life. He ended up just going down into depression and killed himself. Right? Um, So it wasn't a life change. It It was a change that caused him to backtrack. You see? To backtrack from his decision that he made when Judas repented. You see what I'm saying? But it's because he was became aware, all of a sudden, Jesus is not going to fight back. You see what I'm saying? Judas had an, an awareness, a revelation, an epiphany, if you might say. He had an aha moment. You see what I'm saying? That's what we're talking about. So it's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. After they ate of the tree and they their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. You see? So they what we're talking about is the aha moment, the moment in your mind you you where you have instant regret you see what i'm saying well that's what that's what peter was doing when he was walking on the water (laughs) he saw the wind instantly regretted his decision he had a repentance of his faith you see what i'm saying he repented from faith that's what doubt is and anytime you doubt here's what's gonna happen it says right after that he saw the wind and he was afraid Okay. He was afraid. So here's how you know if you repent from faith. If you get afraid. <laughs> if you are afraid, then you know you repented from faith. Make sense? All right. We also talked about faith as being a mustard seed, right? And we, 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 we talked several, we gave several illustrations, I think in Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 21, um, Luke chapter 17, I believe and somewhere in mark right uh i don't remember because they are not in my notes i had to look everything up (laughs) mark 11 11, that's right so um but we talked about how the mustard seed faith wasn't so much about size and what it was and what it had to do if you go over to mark chapter 11 let's go over there real quick mark chapter 11 it says Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So we see here that if you have a certain certain kind of faith, you can say that this mountain, right? Over here in Matthew chapter 17, he also talks about a mountain, but he talks about a mustard seed faith. He says right here in Matthew chapter 17, um, if you have faith of a mustard seed, Um, Truly I say to you, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith of a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will obey you. Nothing will be impossible for you. So you see that Jesus was teaching here that that they said, why couldn't we cast a demon out? He says, because of your little faith. I tell you, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say this mountain, be moved from here to there and it would obey you. And over here in Mark chapter 11, he's saying, if you have faith and do not doubt. So what we realized, just a quick version of what we talked about earlier, basically, mustard seed faith is not necessarily the size of your faith. Mustard seed faith really is just faith that has no doubt. That's what a mustard seed faith is. Also, I think it was Luke. Might have been Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Luke 17 talked about, uh, let's look it up. I think it was talking about the mulberry tree, right? And they said, increase our faith. Yeah, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Right after he said, you must forgive your brother seven times, right? He said, if you or says, uh, seven times, uh, if he sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And then he says, increase our faith. So they never told him to increase their faith about anything else except for forgiveness. <laughs> not healing the sick, not casting out demons. To the disciples, it was more difficult for them to forgive than to cast out a demon. But what Jesus says is, increase, your faith, increase our faith. He says, if you had faith the size, the, the, the like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. And right after that, it talks about how the, how the servant would come in. He says, look, if you had a servant coming to work for you, would the, would the guy tell him, I mean, he says right here, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? The implied answer is no, he's a servant. He's doing his job. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So we're not, he's saying that uh, in the same context, we're talking about forgiving sin, increasing faith and doing your duty all in the same portion here. So whenever he talks about the mustard seed faith, I think it's talking about faith without doubt. And I believe it's also talking about the beginning. A seed is always the beginning of something bigger. It's the beginning. So when Jesus is talking about mustard seed faith, he's talking about the beginning kind of faith. What's your beginning? You must forgive your brother seven times a day if he sins against you and repents seven times a day. What's the beginning of your faith? Forgiveness. That's why the title, we're gonna get into more details here, but the foundation of your faith is forgiveness. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive you. The The foundation of your faith is forgiveness. The beginning of your faith is forgiveness. The seed of faith, the very beginning of that tree. The the very beginning has to do with forgiveness. It's only your duty. To get into anywhere else you must be able to forgive. If you can't forgive you're not walking in humility. We talk about humility, how it's the key to faith. You can you'll never try to find faith without humility. Humility is the key to everything. And so The seed, the beginning of your faith, the beginning, the mustard seed portion of your faith, the very beginning of your faith is forgiveness. It's the foundation of it all. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The same um, line as Luke chapter six, where it says, forgive your enemies, bless those who curse you. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the seed. It's the beginning. It's the very first thing that you plant in the ground forgiveness and that's where all other faith comes from faith for anything else in the gospel is sprouted from forgiveness and it's only your duty it's christianity 101 you can't even enter into heaven without forgiving your brother from your heart the scripture says and so it's the beginning of our faith make sense so i believe that mustard seed faith doesn't really have much to do with the little with the size jesus didn't like little faith that's why he always rebuked him for little faith Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So when he was on the water, that's what he said to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So we understand that he had faith. Well, I say this a lot too. Doubt is, is the bully in the room that belittles your faith. Doubt is the bully in the room that belittles your faith. It's the recoil. So we talked a lot about this already. Understanding. We understand also in Matthew chapter 13 when it talks about his throwing the seed out and that some seed fell on the rocky ground when it fell on the rocky ground then it says that the birds came and ate it up on the wayside because of the lack of understanding well first of all we have to understand that faith doesn't require understanding faith doesn't require understanding it's whenever you try to understand and you have lack of understanding that hinders your faith You don't have to have faith and you don't have to have understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six, it says, trust in the Lord in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will keep your path straight. It says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. You don't have to understand. But if you just have to understand, then your lack of understanding will cause you to doubt and the birds will come steal the word because you just have to understand. And what we talked about was the difference in attitude. We're not talking about seeking understanding as if seeking understanding is a bad thing. It's seeking understanding while you're trusting God. That was the problem with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had a hard time trusting God without understanding. (laughs) It was their lack of understanding that stole away the word, but it was because they chose to lean into their understanding They caused the word to be able to be stolen away let me let me say this again they didn't have to understand all they had to do was trust and obey they didn't have to understand when god said don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for you shall surely die in the day that you eat of it they did not have to understand anymore except for the character of god that god was not a liar that's all they had to understand the only thing they had to understand was that god was not a liar that god was good and that what he said was true So when they questioned that character of God, that caused them to have a lack of understanding. Whenever whenever the devil comes in and says, did God really say? Boom. Questioning what he said made them not understand what he said because they sought to understand. So the Bible says, so seeing that the fruit was beautiful and good for eating and also it was a source of knowledge, right? Genesis chapter three, verse six. Let's go there so when the woman saw watch this watch this but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die confusion now she has a wrestling if she had only had one word she never would have been confused but she got two words now now there's this inner war inside of her confusion well I heard this one thing but now I'm hearing something different you will not surely die what? what hold on what are you saying are you saying god's lied to me so now she's questioning she's questioning in a doubtful way listen when you just have to understand it in your mind if you're thinking i just have to understand this be careful because it leads to pride when you i remember for instance the first time i ever heard about tongues And people started speaking in tongues. And my first question was, I just don't understand this. It led to pride. I thought I knew better than what the Bible said. Ah, that tongues is of the devil, my first thought, right? (laughs) Lack of understanding caused me to doubt. You see what I'm saying? But it's only because I sought to understand, because I thought I had to understand to have faith. You don't have to understand to have faith. You just have to submit. You don't have to understand. You just have to submit. But because I just had to understand. Before I could believe, then I had all kinds of doubt. You see what I'm saying? Now, when I stopped being so prideful about it, and I just said, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm done. I don't understand. it. I just know what the word says. It's there. And then we can have it. So I surrender. When I did that, all of a sudden, I started to gain understanding. Because I had a different heart, right? Check it out. So over Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So, so the one, so, uh, or verse um, 4. When the serpent said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open." and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, again, seeking of understanding, but not God's way. She forgot the one thing. We we talked about this. uh, Instead of going to the source of all wisdom, she decided to counter what he, creator of wisdom, said, which is, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She went a shortcut, in a sense, to try to get it her own way, to try to get it a different way. There's a mystery here. I'm hoping everybody's getting it. And the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. All right, so you see this—that she sought to understand, but because she sought to understand, she made the most foolish decision ever. <laughs> yeah, I gotta read something to y'all. I posted. Everybody, when <laughs> everybody's trying to go with what they what feels right, or or that they, people are very emotionally driven. They're they're driven by their emotions, their feelings. So I put on here: most people look at the world through the lens of their feelings. Feelings of injustice euphoria or insecurity when i say euphoria i mean pleasure right so they're always looking through their feelings injustice euphoria insecurity these are very distorted lenses we must begin to learn how to see through love wisdom and faith so put on here when you feel injustice look with the lens of love because love covers a multitude of sins right Love will help you see the other person and what they need rather than what you need. Love brings out patience, kindness, humility, consideration of others. Love listens and seeks to understand. Love isn't self-seeking. Love remains calm even under pressure and it continually forgives and shows mercy. Always looking for the best in others and drawing it out of them. Love does not rejoice in evil or or when evildoers get what they deserve. Y'all find that out? Y'all hear that? love only rejoices when truth wins love carries heavy burdens it never gives up and it has no reason to not trust since it is always willing to give you cannot steal from love because love would have given it away anyway love never fails when you feel good like like she said she saw that the tree was pleasing to the eyes right when you feel good when you feel good look with the lens of wisdom and begin asking where does this end just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. Wisdom sabotages the snares of life. Let me say that again. Wisdom sabotages the snares of life. Every mouse likes the cheese, but not every mouse sees the trap. Wisdom must be sought after. It, it doesn't just come. We're talking about true wisdom, not earthly wisdom. We're going to get to that in a second. I have been around many people who have failed many times, and they never learn from their failures, <laughs> Right? and they don't gain any wisdom. They simply repeat the cycle again and again and again. They're not gaining wisdom, even though they have the experience. They have no wisdom. Wisdom is key to growth as a person. Wisdom will help to prevent many catastrophic decisions. Watch this. Wisdom is not knowledge alone or even understanding. talking about wisdom versus understanding. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is not understanding. Wisdom is the application of those things. Yet we must be careful with worldly wisdom. This leads us to godly wisdom. Godly wisdom does not require understanding. (laughs) Mm. Godly wisdom does not require understanding. It only requires faith and obedience. This is why the tree of knowledge of good and evil was such a bad thing for Adam and Eve to eat. The woman would have been wiser to obey God. (laughs) Wrong knowledge produces lack of wisdom. She heard two things. She had knowledge from God and she had knowledge from the devil. You see? And that knowledge from the devil caused her to question and have a misunderstanding. But she still should have chosen to trust God. That would have been wiser. You see what I'm saying? This is why the tree of knowledge of good and evil was such a bad thing for Adam and Eve. A woman would have been wiser, right? She, had, she sought understanding. Genesis 3:6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. Just because it looks good, feels good, sounds good, does not mean that it is good. (laughs) People say that all the time about weed, right? Well, God created weed. (laughs) We should be able to smoke it. You see what I'm saying? It was only one cigarette. (laughs) Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. You know? Wisdom. Look at the end results. Okay? You must examine the fruit. We must seek the creator of wisdom. That is God. Watch this. When you feel insecure, then you must look with faith. Most importantly, you must have your faith in the right thing. People will fail you. That is why you need love, right? God will never fail you. That is where your faith can rest. Faith never loses hope because without hope, faith has no strength. Let me say that again. Faith never loses hope, because without hope, faith has no strength. The feeling of insecurity is a telltale sign that you have indeed put your trust in something that was never designed to hold you, sustain you, make you, or define you. Let me say that again. The feeling of insecurity is a telltale sign that you have indeed put your trust in something that was never designed to hold you, sustain you, make you, or define you. God has given us many things in life to help us, but we were never supposed to run to those things for our security. Money, relationships, and things should not become God to us. Insecurity is a sign of idolatry. If you have insecurity, if, you have, if you're insecure, that means you have idolatry. <laughs> if you're insecure, that means you put your faith in something that was shaky. Okay, well, God, but I'm trying to trust God, but I still feel fearful. No, 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 you're not putting your faith in God, you're putting your faith in your understanding. Let me say that again. So when people say, but I am trying to trust God, I just I'm just feel, I'm questioning, I, I, I'm just, I'm having a, no, that means that you're not putting your faith in God. That means you're putting your faith in your own understanding. And God's not lining up with your understanding. That's why you doubt. Let me say that again. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying? When people are trying to follow God, and they say, man, I just, I'm struggling trusting God. You're right, you're struggling trusting God. <laughs> You're trusting yourself. Get yourself out of the way. (laughs) Tell yourself, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You have to die to yourself. You have to look at yourself and say, you don't know nothing. It's pride. (laughs) When you're trying to understand it, it's pride. I'm not saying that you don't, we're going to talk about the good way of doing it, right? Here in a second. It's very subtle, by the way. This kind of idolatry is very subtle, yet it can be so devastating. Make sense? David, you still with us? All right. So, when is it good to seek understanding? Well, we see here, we we talked about the difference between Zechariah and Mary. We're going to briefly talk about this because we're already into our time way too much. How can you know? So whenever Zechariah was coming in, he's talking about the two different ways of handling this. So when Zechariah... It's all about the heart issue. Okay? It's the difference between the child who's saying... Hmm? Oh, my hand is up. Sorry. This, it's the difference between the child saying, Daddy, why is this happening? Or, or the child saying, But why? <laughs> two different attitudes. Same question, two different attitudes. One is having a hard time trusting. One is... Really wanting to know so they can become better, okay? Um, make sense? All right. well, what am I doing wrong now, Zach? Versus, uh, what, am, what do I need to fix, Zach? You know what I mean? So when people question your motives, that's what happens. So, or they question the character, the question. All right, so check it out. How can I know this? So Zechariah, when, when, when Gabriel said, look, hey, I've heard your prayers. We've heard your prayers. And you're going to get, your wife's going to be pregnant. And he's like, how can I know this? She's old and I'm old. And he said, I'm going to strike you mute because you didn't believe me. <laughs> all right. That's one response. So you see Zechariah asked the question. You, you might think, well, that's not fair. He was just trying to understand. Yeah, that's the problem. He just needed to trust and obey. Okay. It's all about the heart. Now, what about Mary? gabriel the same angel came to her i mean it's not like they had a different mood swing or something like that like one angel was had a better mood than the other angel same angel comes (laughs) comes down and talks to (laughs) same angel comes down uh talks to zachariah zachariah gets muted right mute button (laughs) but mary he's gentle with her how can this be oh the holy spirit will come on you. he explains it (laughs) You know? So how can this be? So it's a different um, different attitude. The uh, Mary had a different attitude. She was really wanting to grow. She was really wanting to understand. She really cared. She believed what the, what the angel said. How can this be? She's just wanting to know. She didn't have the attitude about it. She didn't give up excuses, you know? So we see Mary had a different attitude, right? Um, she's like, well, you got pencils in yours? Oh, my goodness. I made it how can, how can this be? So she had different attitudes. So she trusted the Lord. She saw something different. Make sense? Cool? All right. We're going to get to the next thing. So those are just recaps, some of the big revelations we had um, this last teaching um, to help us go into the next one. So what we want to talk about is faith. We want to talk about what Jesus talked about faith. And so we're going to start with 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, ought to walk in the same way. All right, the Bible does not give a clear line between the difference between what some people say nowadays as a Christian versus a disciple. If you break down the word Christian, the word Christian means Christ-like. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, the word disciple means follower or student. Okay? Okay? And when Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, no student is above his master, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his master. This is what Jesus taught. So in Jesus' vocabulary, there is no Christian. There's just disciples. Disciples. (laughs) we have to be careful with some of this thinking because what we do is we say oh yeah you can be passive about Christianity Jesus never Jesus Christianity 101 Jesus didn't ever talk about saying a sinner's prayer he said if you want to be my disciple you must pick up your cross and follow me okay Christianity 101 to be a Christian Christianity 101 Die, <laughs> you <laughs> die to self. Why? It's, this is the doorway to faith. Then you die to yourself. We talked about it a second ago. How can you have faith? If you don't put your own self aside, trust in the Lord and lean on your own understanding, you've got to die to do that. You have to tell yourself, shut up. You know? You don't know what you're talking about, right? You have to tell yourself, hey, be quiet. You have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You have to... Hmm. Make sense? You have to die. Christianity 101. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus. We're getting off... (laughs) <laughs> oh jesus this is awesome let's look something out here you know you know well the bible doesn't say make jesus your savior even in romans chapter 10 it says you must believe in your heart that jesus died on the cross and rose again he's the son of god and you'll be justified but it says with your mouth you confess that he is lord and you will be saved. But what does Lord mean? Master, owner, boss. How can you profess him as your boss if you're not going to obey him? There is an implied change when you say, "I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life." You're saying, "I will obey him. I will." You're make, You're becoming a disciple. You're not becoming a Christian. You're becoming. A, you can't be a Christian until you become a disciple. Christian means Christ-like. How can you be Christ-like if you're not a disciple? Oh, that's such a good word, Christian means Christ-like. You cannot become Christ-like if you don't follow him, if you don't learn from him, if he doesn't teach you. You have to be a student to become a Christian. If you want to be like Christ, you must study. you want to be like christ you must follow you must study ah that's such a good word christians now, a lot of people i've heard people say that before and they're mean well they're well-meaning people people i love people i respect i've heard people i love and respect say this thing well i was a christian and then one day i made jesus lord then you weren't a christian before that you were a christian when you made him lord You aren't saved. The Bible says, make him Lord and you will be saved. But when you make him Lord, you're deciding to follow him. You're deciding to be a disciple. You're you're deciding to study for him. Now, don't get me wrong. Are you necessarily a perfect? Are you perfectly Christ-like at the beginning? No. Now, what you may realize along the way, three years into your discipleship is that you're not very christian-like and then you say lord i want to learn how to submit more oh well then you might have been saved in the beginning you just weren't a very good follower there's a lot of people like that you know there were some people that were a little closer to jesus than the other disciples by their own choice by their own devotion, not because jesus picked them you know what james john peter i like you guys more than the others i like your beards No, that's not what he said. Those people were a little bit more devoted. (laughs) Right? Thomas, you smell. I think I'm going to dab you as doubting Thomas. (laughs) Why does it got to be Thomas? (laughs) Dab me over there. Oh, but for real, right? Right. I mean, Jesus didn't pick favors based off their looks and smells. He picked people closer to him because of their humility. Let's go over here to Exodus real quick. Uh, Did I even read what I was going to read in here? No. No. Luke chapter 9. Let's read this real quick and then we're going to go over over to to Moses. Okay. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily decision. It's not just a one-time decision. Before you make the one-time decision, make sure you're ready to make the daily decision. (laughs) The daily decision for whoever would... I'm not saying you don't have a one-time experience born again, right? Everybody gets born one time. I preach this a lot. Born again, it's a one-time experience. But there's a daily dying. Every day you die every day you pick up your cross every day you deny yourself that's part of being a disciple you deny yourself and follow him for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself in some translation says forfeits his soul for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That doesn't sound like your typical evangelism message. Hey guys, if you want to get saved, make sure you preach Jesus everywhere. Because if you're ashamed of him, you're going to hell. <laughs> Why don't we... And then, You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Think about this for a minute. Hey, you know what? If you want to get saved today... You need to forgive everyone. Cuz the Bible says if you don't forgive your neighbor from your heart, then God won't forgive you. So but we teach this message, hey, everybody say this sinner's prayer. Now Jesus is making it clear who his disciples are. My disciples, forgive his neighbor from his heart. My disciples, deny themselves daily. My disciples, what it says here? They're not ashamed of me. Jesus is. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, "Look, we're going to go down into this garden, and I'm going to show you, Tommy and Dustin, this is a this is a pear tree. Let me show you something real quick. This is what a pear looks like. Looks like this. It has a little stem on top, and a little top body right here, and then it has this little, you know, swollen dot. That's that's this is what a pear looks like. Sometimes it has a little crease like that. That's that, that is a pear. And if You go out there, and you see this hanging off of the tree instead. That's not a pear. That's That's an apple. I'm going to show you what my pear tree looks like. This is the fruit of a pear tree. It looks like this. And if you look like this, you're not a pear tree. So if you're going to be my disciple, this is the fruit. You must look like. You cannot be ashamed of me. If you're ashamed of me, you're an apple. You're not a pear. If you're, if you can't forgive your neighbor from your heart, you're an apple. You're not a pear. Oh, you gave up too early. You didn't endure to the end. You're an apple, not a pear. So Jesus is te- teaching us. He says, "You will recognize them by their." For a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. It's not a matter of. I don't know if, if the topic, once saved, always saved, is really even a topic. Maybe it's more of a distraction. Maybe what we should be recognizing is the fruit. Because that's how Jesus is going to find out when he returns. Will the Son of Man find faith? What does your fruit look like? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Ooh, that's a hard one. Lord, help me with self-control. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's a fruit. Amen. comes. It just comes. Almost naturally. But supernaturally. Supernaturally. It just happens. Why? Because I know how much I've forgiven. It's easy for me to forgive others. When I look at my life... Now how much I owe God, it's easy for me to forgive the guy who had one debt against me when I have a life debt. It's easy. It's easy. Forgiveness you know is what's easy. not easy? Admitting your own faults. Mm. You want to know how, why you can't forgive other people? Because you don't admit your own faults. You if you admitted your own faults and sought God for forgiveness, yeah. it'd be easy for you to forgive other people. Did you know that the people that despise other people apologizing to them, they never apologize? Have you ever met anyone who, who just knocks you down after you apologize? Have you ever noticed that they never apologize? The reason why is because they consider it weakness. People who have a hard time forgiving also have a hard time apologizing because they consider it weakness vulnerability they don't trust they don't trust which is also faith you see this faith faith i'm assuming this again if people have a hard time forget Mm. we just got off jesus just just a little bit just just a little bit all right check it out (laughs) had that tally (laughs) Weakness, people who have a hard time forgiving, people who live in unforgiveness. How how do you recognize people who live in unforgiveness? They're very irritable people. People who can't forgive other people, they're irritable people, they're easily angered. You know how I know this? They lack love. You know why they lack love? They haven't been shown love. You see this? People lack... Oh, this is good. This is not even... This is not my notes. (laughs) Weakness. Why? When people don't apologize, people don't... Listen, people who don't apologize despise other people that do apologize. And the reason why is because they see it as weakness. They don't want to become vulnerable. They're not vulnerable which the reason why they're not vulnerable is because they don't trust the bible says that love always trusts so if you don't trust that means you lack love why would you lack love because you haven't been shown love you see that not shown love these people have never been shown love so you know why they have a hard time forgiving you because they haven't been forgiven do you see that circle that just happened People who have a hard time forgiving other people have never been shown love. They don't understand love. If they understood love, they'd know that they could be forgiven. If they understood love, they would be trusting. They would actually trust someone to confess their sins so that they might be forgiven. The reason why they can't forgive is because they haven't been forgiven. You can't give something you don't have. You all following this? It's kind of like a circle here. Kind of like going around in a circle, but it's very powerful revelation here. So here's what I realized. When somebody can't forgive, it's because they haven't been forgiven. They haven't humbled themselves to the situation yet to receive forgiveness. And a lot of times it's because they haven't been shown love as a child, right? Growing up, they just maybe they've always been abused and, 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 and mistreated when they've ever shown weakness, and so they don't ever want to become weak again. And so, the, when you apologize to them, they'll say, Man, don't even apologize to me. Why are you apologizing to me? You know, I remember going to down my old boss said this one time about his son. His son would come in and say, I'm sorry. And the, 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 my, the, my old boss, his fa- he was the father of this, of this boy, he'd say, Go in the mirror and look at yourself and tell yourself that. People who don't know how to apologize, don't know how to receive apologies. It's a powerful word. (laughs) Are we hitting on something today? (laughs) What about those that apologize without meaning it? Because they say it so often, what is their hang up on that? That they, it's such a knee-jerk reaction that there's no meaning behind an apology. Yes, that can happen too. <laughs> go, look <in> the <laughs> yeah, go look in the mirror. But whenever you receive an apology, it's now your duty to build. If someone's humbling themselves to you, at least with an apology, then your job is to reproof, to correct, not, not to beat up. Right. But to, to say, okay, well, how can we help prevent this from happening? You see what I'm saying? When I apologize to God for my sin, then I ask Him, if God, teach me how not to do that again, and then He admonishes me. See what I'm saying? So apologies are really not for you. They're for the person who's apologizing. So if they're not meaning it, then they're just not meaning it to, for, to their self, really. A- apology means I humble myself. Right. But me apologizing to you doesn't fix you. Right. It fixes me. <laughs> if I humble myself if i uh, if i <clears throat> okay if you're living in love it, you never even need anyone to apologize to you you've already you've already given it away okay so you've already given them generously something they don't deserve that's what jesus did god didn't come save us after we apologized right. he came and died for us he gave we stole from him and he still gave before we apologized knowing that many of us would not apologize still giving freely right so that's why when we apologize to god it's not about getting um something it's about getting grace Makes sense when you humble yourself do you get grace you've already been shown love you got love without being humble god showed you love check this out god showed you love without you having faith at all you received love. God gave it to you. He showered you with love without you ever having to do anything for it. Make sense? And the grace was also purchased for you. So it was free. You didn't have to earn it. But it's through your humility that it releases grace into your life. What is that? Favor. Okay? Favor. It just means that they can get somewhere with you. Make sense? so who's that favor for the one who's apologizing so the apology is never for the person you hurt forgiveness is for the person who got hurt when they release it and they're no longer holding a debt against you now they're free as long as and you're also free but but you don't you the the, the, an apology is for restored relationships. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's favor. Now you're now in my good grace because you apologized. You see what I'm saying? But that also means that if they're humble enough to truly apologize, they're humble enough to also receive correction. Now if the person just keeps on coming and beating you down, then there's no forgiveness there. You just walk out of there. I, didn't, I, I apologize and if I don't receive forgiveness, well, I wouldn't have received it anyway. Forgiveness has to be offered before you apologize. That's what happened with God. When God, doesn't mean you get forgiveness. You don't get forgiveness until you ask for it. But it's still offered to you, whether you ask for it or not. <laughs> you have to extend forgiveness in your heart. Otherwise, you just get irritable and you have resentment. God is not resentful to us. That's what the Bible says, I will no longer be angry with you. I will no longer "Mm." chide, brew on the thought of your offense. Let's look at that word, chide. Scold or rebuke. Scold. Ah, why would you do that? Berate, reprimand. The antonym is praise. <laughs> praise. So to chide, it's it's I, I I I guess chide is really more of a rebuke than it is a, but resentment. It's to dwell on resentment. It means you've held. You know what resentment is? It's when you keep on holding offense against someone continually. Keeps no record of wrongs, because so the Bible says love is not irritable or resentful. Another translation says it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. How do you get angered easily? Because you kept a record of wrongs. So if you find yourself continually getting angry, that means you're you're falling short in love. See, nobody has to apologize for you to give somebody love. You can love without an apology. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. <clears throat> Bless those who, cur- pers- who, who curse you. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And with great power, the apostles... All right, so we're talking about love and forgiveness, right? This is the beginning of it all, right? To die to yourself is the beginning of faith. All right, so we'll just keep recap with this. Dying to yourself is the beginning of faith. Dying to self is the beginning of faith. It's the beginning of discipleship. It's discipleship, right? For real. I mean, that's why Jesus died on the cross. To forgive us. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6-7. So say, say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers go to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. So it's talking about choosing to be defrauded. That that's the Christ like way. You know. Strange. Turn the other cheek. Jesus was serious about that. (laughs) Like, turn the other cheek. I mean goat's tails. Uh, Schindler that his power comes from the fear the Jews have of him. They know that he can kill at any point. And Schindler disagrees. He says that this is not power. True power lies in awe and respect that comes from having the ability to kill, but the will not to. To spare life. That's true power. You know, to forgive. To relinquish. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this channel. Be sure to hit the like button and share it to your friends. And subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, go visit our website at bombszs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things for you that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.